In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as only the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Has everybody gotten a Merry Christmas hug? All right. Very good. Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. It is a joy to be here this morning on the Lord's Day to celebrate Christmas together. My name is Jesse. I'm one of the MC leaders out in Alito and one of the elder candidates. And I have the opportunity to share a little message with you this morning. I know that there are some kids here this morning. Let me hear you. <laughs> Today is an exciting day. Kids got to pay attention because I'm going to have you interact with me a little bit. So when I tell you to make some noise or answer a question, you have to do that, right? All right. Christmas is an exciting season. Yes. Yes. And it is a season that is marked by belief. What does it mean to believe in something? The dictionary definition is to have confidence in the truth, the existence, or the reliability of something, although without absolute proof that one is right in doing so. We talk about belief a lot this time of year, and we are told to believe in a lot of things. We are told to believe in the spirit of Christmas. We create feel-good stories that are supposed to inspire us to be better people. We design elaborate tales for our children to believe with the hope that the mystery will stir in them a desire to do the things we tell them to. The Hallmark movies stir in us romantic hopes that true love will be found by the guiding Christmas force that brings people together. The advertisers exploit our consumerist sides to sell us the latest and greatest gadgets that we are convinced will bring us joy. This season shows us that we all want to believe in something bigger than ourselves. We want to find meaning and joy in this life. We look to relationships, family, work, hobbies, and other things to fill that inner desire in our hearts. 
For the kids here today, you might look to new toys, gadgets, good grades, cool clothes, or affirmation and likes from friends on TikTok and Insta to find joy and meaning. (laughs) I don't know what either one of those things are. (laughs) But these things always fail us and leave us feeling defeated, lonely, and disappointed. We want to believe in something, but we do not know what the object of our belief should be. John 5.24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. This is the covenant of grace that God made with man. This is the only true source of joy and life. Everywhere else we look is just an imitation of this. The covenant established in the life, death, and resurrection and ascension of Emmanuel, God with us, reaches back to the beginning of creation and forward to us right now. We don't have to come up with clever fairy tales or romantic mysteries to testify to this truth. God's word has provided everything we need to know where our life and hope is found. We're going to explore how this opening section of John shows us four things. One, what to believe in. Two, how we can believe. Three, why belief happens. And four, our response to belief. Let's jump into our passage. Turn with me to John 1, verses 1 through 8. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Verses 1 through 8 show us what we should believe in. You might be wondering why John used the term word to refer to the Son of God who was coming into the world. The Greek word here is logos, which can be translated literally as word, reason, or plan. There are some translations that use the term speech instead of, instead, to give the idea of a more active subject. In his commentary on this, Calvin says, He does this because Jesus is the eternal wisdom and will of God. Because Jesus is the lively image of his purpose. To quote him, he says specifically, speech is said to be among men the image of the mind. So it is not inappropriate to apply to God to say that he reveals himself to us by his speech. And the first few verses give us some important information about Jesus. In other words, 
This is what we should believe in. One, Jesus is God. Two, Jesus is eternal. Three, all things were made through him. And four, he gives life and sustains it through his life. Because of this, Jesus claims lordship over all things. There is nothing in all creation that our king does not claim rightful authority over. As Abraham Kuyper frequently says through our pastor, Sam, there is not one square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to our king. We are called to have authority over a lot of things in this life. Parents have authority over their children. Men have authority over their households. Bosses have authority over their workers and elders have authority over the church. The government has the authority to punish evil. In all these things, no authority is possessed that is not ultimately delegated by the one who has all authority. Therefore, the way we exercise our under authority should represent the will and the ways of our king, which is revealed to us in his word. Kids, you see what I'm saying here? You live in a weird and sometimes confusing world. How do you know who you can believe or what you should believe in? I'm saying that Jesus is over all things and therefore he gets to decide what is right and wrong, what is true and false. We don't have to guess and make things up when deciding what to believe in. We have a trusted and sure foundation in Jesus who perfectly reveals to us the will of God, that we should believe in him and all that he has shown us. After establishing Jesus' dominion over all things, John then proceeds to tell, John then proceeds to tell us that when the word became flesh, he brought with him two things, life and light. The life and light that is bestowed upon us by grace when the word became flesh is what separates us from the animals. We do not merely have the ability to move and breathe, but possess the ability to reason and to know God. Although darkness came into the world and clouded our ability to know the one true God, there is still a spark of light that gives us hope. This hope was made real when the God we find life in came to dwell among us and put on flesh. Calvin comments here that the light which was originally bestowed on men must not be estimated by their present condition. Because in this corrupt and degenerate nature, light has been turned into darkness. Yet he affirms that the light of understanding is not wholly extinguished. For amidst the thick darkness of the human mind, some remaining sparks of brightness still shine. Looking around the world has a lot of darkness. It makes it hard to have hope. But because of Jesus, we do have hope. That brings us to the next point in verses 9 through 13. How can we believe? Read with me verses 9 through 13. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. 
He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. This is the spark that Calvin speaks of, the vestiges of our creation that are darkened and corrupted by the fall, but not gone. All people have a desire for God within them and a conscience that convicts them towards right and wrong. Christ's power and glory has been made manifest from the beginning of creation. Our sinfulness and brokenness has led us to suppress these realities and try to find replacements for them. As darkened people, we push against our God-given conscience until dull and perverse desires seem more acceptable. We try to create God replacements to fill the desire for him, but these never seem to fill the void. This is why the Apostle John states that our response to Jesus' coming is that we did not know him and we did not receive him. In our flesh, our hearts remain darkened, and even though we have been given reason and perception above the animals, the light of truth, even though we have been given reason and perception above the animals and the light of truth has been illuminated in Christ, we are not able to see and believe on our own. What hope is there for us in this Emmanuel? Verses 12 and 13 say, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. That seals the deal. God has to do something. God has shown us what to believe in through Jesus, but we do not have the capacity within ourselves to bring about this faith. Faith is a gift. How do you kids feel about presents? Raise, raise your hand if you like them. Raise your hand if you don't like them. <laughs> Why do you think we give presents on Christmas anyway? What does this fun tradition remind us about God? It reminds us that we have a God who loves us and is full of grace towards us. Our God gives us good gifts that we did not earn and we do not deserve. He gave us Jesus who paid the price for our sin on the cross. He gives us the righteousness that Jesus earned through his perfect, sinless life, and he gives us the faith we need to believe in all of this because he loves us. Our God is the perfect gift giver, and when we give good gifts, we have the opportunity to show others what he is like. We receive this long-promised Savior and King and become his children when we believe in him. This is not merely intellectual agreement with the fact that Jesus came, but wholly having faith in all that he is and did. John tells us that this is not of blood or the will of the flesh. This hope is not for a particular race or ethnic group. This is a hope for all nations, Jews and Gentiles, black and white, rich and poor, edu educated and uneducated, 
young and old. Nor can we reasonably deduce this belief in our flesh. We have knowledge and reason above the animals that gives us the ability to understand and believe in a lot of things. However, our darkened hearts cannot come to see the light and believe without being born again. We have control over a lot of things in this life, but unfortunately, being born was not one of them. In brokenness, we become sons of Adam. When born by the flesh, we enter this world through our parents. By grace and the loving kindness of God, we are born by the Spirit and adopted as sons and daughters of Jesus. Our covenant representative is no longer Adam and sin, but the righteous Lord Jesus, whose coming we celebrate today. But in all of this rebellion and sin, why would God do this? Read with me verses 14 through 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this is the one whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Belief happens because of God's glory, grace, and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. It does not say here that he became man, but that he became flesh. When we think of flesh, we often think of that part of us which is most basic, finite, and broken. This stands in stark contrast to the powerful, perfect, and imperceptible Jesus portrayed in the word at the beginning of this passage. This use of words by John helps us more vividly perceive the depth to which Jesus stooped to come and rescue his people. We celebrate something today that I don't think we take enough time to think about. Jesus did not cease to become the eternal word through whom all things were created for a few years to become a mortal man. Calvin explains well here when he says that the two natures were so united in one person in Christ that the one and same Christ is true God and true man. The unity of persons does not hinder the two natures from remaining distinct so that in his divinity retains all that is peculiar to itself and his humanity holds separately what belongs to it. The theological term for this is the hypostatic union. The eternal, all-powerful, perfect and all-knowing God of the universe is at the same time vulnerable and completely dependent baby who cries, gets cold, eats, poops, and needs to be comforted. If that doesn't cook your noodle, I don't know what will. We could spend the rest of eternity exploring the depths of meaning and glory in that truth. What kind of God would do this? 
The answer is a God of glory, grace, and truth. The God of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is a God of glory, grace, and truth. This God was perfectly revealed to us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Our God is a God who loves his own glory and we exist that he would be glorified. We exist to make his name great among the nations through professing and manifesting his glory in Jesus. He gives us the faith we have for his glory, which is our true and ultimate joy. Our God is a God of grace. In Jesus, we see the crowning act of broken man receiving unmerited favor from a God who never ceases to bless broken and unworthy people. We are called to be conduits of this same grace to the broken world that we live in. In the word made flesh, we see the eternal truth of God in a person. In a world that is descending into the chaos that secular humanism promises, we have a God who has revealed to us his perfect and unchanging truth in his word. So what should be our response to all of this? Believe him and obey him. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way for us to make ourselves right with God. Our true and ultimate joy is found in a restored relationship with our Heavenly Father. Our God is perfect in every way, and in his righteousness, he cannot allow sin into his presence, and he cannot let sin go unpunished. We are sinful and broken people, and left to ourselves, will only rebel against God and his ways. We cannot live the perfect life we are called to by trying harder and doing better. And there is no amount of good works that can make up for the wrongs that we have done. What hope do we have? Believe in Jesus. John 6:40 says, for this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. While we look forward to Christ's second advent, true faith is always accompanied by daily gospel obedience, according to the scriptures. I beg you to see the tremendous gift we've been given. God has given us the means to salvation, life in paradise with God for eternity. He gives us the gift of faith so that we can lay hold of this blessedness. But none of this could have happened if the word did not put on flesh and dwell among us. This is why today is so important. This is why we celebrate Christmas and give good gifts. It is because our God is the best gift giver. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of grace that you have given us in Christ, that you condescended um, to us and put on flesh, um, that you walked among us, and became one of us, that you lived the life that we could not, that you suffered and died in our place on the cross, that our debt might be atoned for, and that we might have life in you that we did not earn or deserve. We pray that we would lean more deeply into the truth of that gospel today, that we would enjoy you more fully, and that we would live 
for your glory in all of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.